Yo, what is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Mike Bartner Show. We got episode 10. I got a ton of stuff to talk about. Hockey is fully back. We are, what, four days away from opening night? Pittsburgh Penguins versus Chicago Blackhawks. Obviously, the marquee matchup. But on today's show, we're talking about all the rookies that ended up probably making their NHL team at this point. There's a bunch of surprise guys that kind of came out of nowhere and are going to be on the opening night roster, as well as the fact that the Flames are getting a new arena, apparently. The Flames just announced a new arena yesterday. The NHL draft might be held in the goddamn sphere next year. Quinn and Byfield apparently sprained both of his wrists for all of last year. Jamie Drysdale signed an extension. And lastly, the NHL, their frozen frenzy. They might have their own version of Red Zone now. So we're going to dive into all six of those topics. It's a solo show. Next week's going to be more so... I'm going to get some guests on. I'm going to do some interviews once the season starts getting underway. But this is kind of the final big live li- live last solo show extravaganza. But without further ado, let's get into it. The first question comes to us from Ryan Duddy. He says, hey, Mike, I'm a Sabres fan and Zach Benson is the real deal. Do you think he makes the team? And if so, what kind of a- impact can he have as an undersized guy at only 18? That comes from Ryan. So obviously, Zach Benson It's kind of shocked the hockey world. He went 13th overall in the NHL draft this past summer. I I was, I'm going to talk about my rankings later where I had him, but I was kind of shocked when he fell all the way to 13 because I thought he was a first year top six talent. He was undersized though, ends up falling in the draft and he's been killing it in the preseason with the Buffalo Sabres. You look at him, he is, has the most points besides Connor Bedard. He's tied with Connor Bedard for the most points in the preseason this year with five. Next closest is Nate Danielson at three, Easton Cowan at two. So yeah, he's he's just such a prototypical player, in my opinion. Besides the height, obviously, he is a little bit undersized, but he's such a fantastic two-way player. There was a bunch of videos that surfaced from his preseason of him just digging in on the defensive end, not giving up on plays. Even his board work, given his undersized, he's fantastic on the boards. He just fights like hell. I think Johnny Lazarus put it nicely, and he said that He's a goddamn honey badger out there. He just finds the puck, gets the puck on his stick, makes plays. He had that insane no-look pass to Jeff Skinner for the one-timer. That is what you're getting in Zach Benson. In terms of him making the team next year, obviously, they announced this. They they sent down Yuri Kolich and Isaac Rosen to the Rochester Americans. So that's obviously a good sign for Zach Benson, considering Kolich was a 2022 first-round pick. Isaac Rosen, I believe, a 2021 first-round pick. So they're they're clearly believing Benson. They're giving Benson more of that that running room to go with it. I thought Yuri Kolich might have been the guy that got that extra roster spot, that 12th roster spot on the Buffalo Sabres, but they seem to really like what what they've seen in Zach Benson. So going forward, final preseason game, if he balls out, there's a decent chance that he can make the team. Where he'd slot into the lineup... I think Tyson Jost would probably become the 13th forward on that team. They would probably take take Jost out, move Krebs down to the fourth line, have Casey Middlestat probably go back to third line center. He is he can play center. And then I wouldn't be surprised if they start. I think Benson is more of a traditional left wing, but I wouldn't be surprised if they have Zach Benson on that right wing with Dylan Cousins. And if he does play with Dylan Cousins in like a middle six. 14, 15 minutes a night. I don't see why why he can't put up, if he plays the full season, why he can't put up mid-40s points. I think he is that talented. He was so effective in the WHL last year. He's better than Matthew Savoy, who's 
Buffalo Sabres previous top 10 pick. He had something like 93 points in 60 games in the WHL last year. He's just such a fantastic playmaker, has a very good shot. So I think on that Buffalo Sabres team, he's definitely at this point probably going to get the nine games. I think we can kind of shoot that in if you don't know what I'm talking about. With the way that the CHL and NHL work, a player can play nine games and it doesn't count towards one year of their ELC. So you save an eligibility, for example. I think Matt Barzell with the Islanders played two games in 2016, 2017. So they got it. They get they get to see him at the NHL level, but it doesn't count. You don't burn a year off that ELC compared to some of the college guys when they come at the end of the season and play nine games. That burns an entire year off the ELC, which sucks for teams. It's great for the player. It's obviously they have more. They 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 get closer to that extra payday, but for the team, you kind of don't want to burn that ELC. So when it comes to Benson. If he, if he decides, if they think that he's proved it, play him at the NHL level. I think he is. He's not a long-term project. He's more of an NHL, even though his size, his skill level is at NHL level. He definitely might need to bulk up a little bit. But right now, I think he is, in terms of skill and speed, he is an NHLer. I don't hate the idea of sending him back to the WHL, just having him absolutely dominate, play 21 to 22 minutes a night. Maybe not 22 minutes a night, but like 19 to 20 minutes a night on the... I think plays for Wenatchee Wild used to be the Winnipeg Ice. I don't hate the idea of him just going back to the WHL and murdering it. That might be best for his offensive development. Long-term, him having the puck on his stick as much as possible. But if you want to see him at the NHL level, I think he can also keep up with the game. Looking at him, he he fell in the draft for some reason. I don't know why. These were his pre-draft numbers. This is NHL expected. Basically, it takes your scoring in a given league. For example, Benson, the WHL. And it projects you as an NHL player. It's your NHL equivalency in that points. So you look at Benson, 27 in his draft year before. Then he had the equivalent of 40 points in the NHL last year. And he was projected to be basically a star by everybody. But people kept on underrating him based on his size. According to Byron Bader's model, he had a 70% star rating. So that's 70% that he would end up having a career 0.7 points per game. And obviously the NHL are probability was around 75%. According to that model, he was a consensus top five pick. And even his comparisons by that model had him as Nikita Kucherov, Marner, Thornton, Barkov. I think that might be a little bit insane, but comparatively what he did in the WHL was comparative to those eventual stud NHLers. And you look at myself, not to toot my own horn. I had him over Will Smith. Some people had him outside of the top six, outside of the top eight. I stood my ground. I don't think I'm not going to sit here and say that he's better than Leo Carlson or Adam Fantilli at this point. I think that's absolutely ridiculous after just a good preseason. But this guy had all the talent. It's just, again, these boomer scouts that just see, uh, he's, he's five, he's five, nine though. He's five, 10. He's such a fizz. Like, it's not like he's, I almost just used the P word, but it's not like he's a soft player. He gets into all the dirty areas. He plays like an absolute dog. I think he's already like 180 or 185 at 5'9", 5'10". So he has that physical physical play style. Yes, he maybe doesn't have that ideal 6'1", 6'2", build, but I don't think the height will really hold him back. He's not as small as like a Cole Caulfield, Alex Debrinkit. So he fell in the draft. He was an utter steal. And now what I kind of wanted to do with Benson, I got my phone out. I asked you guys to give me some other young prospects or young NHL players. And I'm going to tell you whether or not I would trade who I would rather have right now for the next 10 years, who I value more. If you offered me a one one on one trade of Benson in this guy, who would I take? This might be a little bit controversial, but it's fired up. 
Up first, Jay Johnson 0017 says Shane Wright, Shane Wright or Zach Benson. I think I'm actually going to go with Zach Benson. I know that might be controversial. Shane Wright, his first year after getting drafted, didn't really impress me. You compare it to Zach Benson. I think he had arguably as good of a draft year as Shane Wright and has only exploded even more in the regular season. Shane Wright might not even make the NHL squad. So right now, if you offered me Shane Wright for Zach Benson, I'm probably turning it down. Next up, Kyle Cook 30 says Dawson Mercer. I got to go Dawson Mercer on that one just because Dawson Mercer had 27 goals and 29 assists last year. 56 points at like age 20 or 21. He's NHL proven. Shane Wright, we don't really know what we're going to see yet. You give me a guy that's already 56 points at 21. I know he's a, that's like his floor at this point. So I got to go with Dawson Mercer. Next up, Drew Kapoor says Yuraj Slavkovsky or Shane or Yuraj Slavkovsky or Zach Benson. I might get canceled for this one, but I'm also going Zach Benson. I, I think he has more of a pro style game. Slavkovsky's definitely going to be a long term develop. Well, Slavkovsky definitely has more potential, but right now I think I'm going to go with Zach Benson just because I, I watched so much of him before his draft year and I've seen some of his preseason games. His mold just screams modern NHL quick two way game. Slavkovsky, if he reaches potential, will be better than Benson, but right now I'm going to go with Benson. Another one that we got is Alexi Lafreniere. I'm taking Zach Benson over Alexi Lafreniere. I don't think that's that controversial. Lafreniere's about to be 22. Has kind of plateaued as a third liner. Zach Benson can walk into the league tomorrow and be a third liner and has the potential to eventually be a first-line guy. And then lastly, Logan Cooley. Logan Cooley, I'm going to go Logan Cooley over Zach Benson. Logan Cooley was fantastic at the college level last year. I think he's only going to take another step this year and be better at the NHL level than Zach Benson. If they both play, he should be like 55, maybe even 60 points. Zach Benson still has a ways to go. Logan Cooley was my number one prospect back in 2022, so I'm going to still go with Logan Cooley. But moving on, some of the other guys that have really impressed in terms of making the team, I'm going to botch his name, but uh, Matt Portois, Pontra, Pontra. Matt Portois is really impressed. He's probably going to make the Boston Bruins this year. Has They keep on calling him like the next Patrice Bergeron. I've seen a lot. That's absolutely ridiculous. Don't get me wrong, but he's really impressed. He's a second round pick from last year, and he's already poised to make the team. That is absolutely insane and kind of unheard of, especially for a team like Boston that hasn't really had the best track record developing prospects. So he's really been impressive. Fraser Midden, Fraser Midden, another guy that was an early second round pick last year. Keith, Keith loves him. Keith keeps on saying, I'm going to play this guy a ton in the preseason. Probably going to make the regular the opening night roster. I think Fraser Midden on like a third line checking line or maybe even fourth line can be really effective for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Brendan Ottman. Brendan Ottman really came out of nowhere. He might play second line right wing at this point because Lafreniere has really struggled in that role. Brendan Ottman. I always thought that he was an okay prospect, 2021 first round pick, I believe 16th overall, but he's really taken his game to another level once he got to the NHL level in the preseason. So it's going to be very interesting to see where he slots into the lineup. Nate Danielson, another guy that I was very high on in the draft process. Nate Danielson, I I don't think he's going to be full-time on the team. The Red Wings have a lot of forward depth and Nate Danielson, I don't think they're going to burn a year on the ELC because they're not really trying to win now next year. So Nate Danielson, again, like Zach Benson, I don't think he has the potential of Zach Benson, but he's so sound both ways of the ice. His positioning is off the charts. He's wise beyond his years. And I think Detroit Red Wings fans are are kind of realizing that. And Nate Danielson will probably get a nine game with 
the Detroit Red Wings, save that year on the LC, then send him back to the Brandon Wheat Kings and absolutely tear it up in the WHL. Basically, the Patrice Bergeron of the WHL next year. So I'm really impressed with Nate Danielson. And last year, Jackson Lacombe. Jackson Lacombe has basically made the Anaheim Ducks roster. We're going to talk about another Ducks defenseman later in this, but he's been really impressive. I think he might make the opening night roster. He's a 2019 second round pick. He, he's more of a physical presence than, say, Owen Zellweger or Jamie Drysdale. He's more, he's definitely does have that offensive potential, but he's more of a well-rounded defenseman, which is good for the Anaheim Ducks in terms of their defense core. They can't have all of these small offensive beasts. So Jackson Lacombe has really impressed me. But moving on, let's talk about one of the most innovative things in the NHL right now. This comes to us from Ben. Hey, Mike, saw your video on this new Frozen Frenzy ESPN Plus show. I know it's only once this year, but I wanted to your thoughts on whether it happened more frequently. So obviously the NHL announced this frozen frenzy. I think it's a fantastic idea. It's going to be launching on October 24th when all 32 teams play. And it's hosted by John Butchergrass. For those that don't know what's going on October 24th, every single team in the NHL is playing all 32, which I think has happened in the past. But what's unique, unique about this is they're starting at 6 p.m. and staggering every 15 minutes up until like 9.30 p.m. So there's, you know, usually it's like there's a 7 p.m. There's like five 7 p.m. games. Then like the central time zone, there's like three 8 p.m. So like it's horribly staggered. So like at the end of each hour, they're all at intermission. It doesn't really matter. They're staggering it. So basically every single minute, there'll be at least four to five games going on without fail. You won't have that weird scheduling that the NHL for some reason always does. So they listen to consumers. They're doing that. I think it's going to be very interesting. And in terms of this frozen frenzy, again, going back to it, all 32 teams, rapid fire action. Obviously the, the inspiration behind this is NFL red zone. I'm not a massive NHL red zone guy myself, but it it clearly is successful. It works for the NFL. I don't think it'll be, as great of a product as the NHL, just because NFL Red Zone, they know where the teams, there's a play clock. It's it's a lot more stop and start so they can flash at different games right before their score. NHL is going to be hopping. It's going to be on a little bit of a delay, but I think it's a fantastic idea. You look at it in terms of casual fans that are starting to get into hockey. They might not want to sit down for a two and a half hour game where there's going to be three to four goals total. Maybe that. That doesn't really appeal to a person just getting into hockey. That time investment is not worth it. And I actually have proof of this. One of my friends texted me. I know you guys might think that I'm faking this, but for the audio people, someone sent me a screenshot of this and said, this is sick. Will make me actually watch hockey. Again, this was, I don't know, this guy is not the biggest hockey guy, but considering someone like that is going to be willing to give hockey a chance Compared to, yeah, they don't want to watch a full game, but something like this, Butcher Gross holding it. It's going to be a very interesting thing for NHL. I think going forward, this could be a successful model whenever they have a 10 plus night game. Obviously, on a Monday night when they have four games, you can't do this because there's not going to be enough action. There's going to be like a 7 p.m. game, 8 p.m. game, 9 p.m. and a 10.30. You can't do it there. But whenever there are these massive 10, 12, 13, 14 just in general, they got to stack the schedule better so they do have some of these delayed starts. But I think this is going to be a very effective thing. And also, not even just the casual fan. But I'm thinking about the fantasy hockey fan when it comes to this. Imagine a night where your team's not playing. You're going to have this shit on, at least in the background of your room, tracking games. When I have a full lineup, I am nonstop on the ESPN, uh, the NHL app 
refreshing scores. I got the Twitter notifications for uh, NHL goals. I don't know if you have that. It's like RotoWire. They tweet out every single goal, who scores it, who assists it. So I think that this is going to be great for fantasy hockey and overall boost fantasy hockey for fantasy hockey diehards. Because that's the case with Red Zone. People watch Red Zone with their, with their fantasy apps open, scrolling through it, being like, oh, that guy's on my team. He just scored. He just had a 50-yard gain. I think the same thing's going to happen with this NHL frozen frenzy. And just overall for the NHL, this is definitely more of a Gen Z millennial kind of idea, kind of concept. I don't expect my dad or yeah, my uncle to tune into this because it'll be very high paced, not watching the real game. They, they'll be like, it's not actual hockey, just highlights. But when it comes to the NHL, they are struggling a little bit in terms of oldest age. This comes to us from the MLB. It was an article about the MLB. Their, their fans are old as hell at 57, but the NBA, NHL, and NFL, the average fan for the NBA is 42, NHL 49, NFL 50. So NHL at 49, they definitely want to get closer to that NBA, NBA number. I think Formula One something ridiculous like 32. That's not going to be achievable, but the NHL definitely wants to not skew solely to a, to a, to a younger audience, but attract that younger audience, that Gen Z millennial population. And I think something like this could be great in the sense that it's not changing the actual game. It's not like on your normal, your favorite team watching. This is not going to affect it at all. It's only, it's only an additive bonus for younger people and newer fans of hockey in that Gen Z millennial to watch this. This is not going to affect the 37, the 57 year old at home that just wants to watch his team doesn't give a shit about the rest of the NHL. He's not going to be tuning in. That's not the market audience. His game, his broadcast is going to stay the exact same, but for some younger, newer, casual fantasy hockey degenerates, betting degenerates, I didn't even mention that, the betting degenerates are going to be in love with this for their tracking their overs, their first goal scorers, their goal anytime goal scorers. The betting implications of this is going to be absolutely insane. And Gen Z millennials do tend to bet more. So I think that it is overall a pretty brilliant idea by the NHL. I got to give Gary Bettman some props on this one. I don't really give him props ever because I don't think he's that good of a commissioner, but he did a very good job on this. And it's rare. It's funny that like the one good idea that he has, it's basically just copying something that the NFL did like 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> it's like the bare minimum. I want him to do so much other stuff from other leagues for the most part. It's good that he's copying this. Next, let's get a play-in. I'll probably make a separate video on that, the goddamn play-in. But let's move on. Next question. The Flames' new arena. So excited that the Flames officially announced that they are building a new arena. I'll definitely miss the Saddle Dome, but this was much needed. Do you think it'll help us keep players? This comes to us from Alec. So obviously, yeah, it's been in talks for a while, but it was officially announced with a full press conference, the full, the mayor, the Flames brass for the most part. They announced that they are fully building a new arena. The Saddle Dome is going to get demolished. And let's let's go to this Twitter thread about it from our guy, Audie James, friend of the program. Key Calgary Event Center takeaways. Agreement has been signed and construction is expected to begin 2024. 1.22 billion total cost as of right now including $300 million from the province to go towards surrounding infrastructure and Saddle Dome demolition. So yeah, it's going to start in 2024. I think you can assume that it'll be done for the 2027, for the 2026-2027 season. 
sounds about right. It takes usually two to three years to build these arenas. It's not an easy feat. I remember the Islanders, it took a little bit. That was COVID though, but it took a little longer. That's why they started on the road for like 13 games. But this is a massive undertaking. Obviously, the Saddle Dome is one, well, definitely not one of the best arenas in the entire NHL. It's definitely one of the most iconic in terms of looks that it's cool. It looks dope, but it's 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 no longer what it used to be, especially considering that there was reports that concrete on its roof was crumbling. Engineer firm says the condition of the concrete around the ring beam is worsening at an accelerating rate. I don't think that it was ever going to like in the next five years, like collapsing on itself. And like, yeah, that, that would be like the worst look ever for the NHL. I don't think it was at that stage, but the place was vastly decreasing at a rapid rate in terms of being up with the times it was created. It was built in 1984, I believe. So it's, it's, it's nothing against how they built it. It's just something like that. Not really supposed to last for 40 years. And just the saddle dome in, to- in total, basically everyone I've talked to has said it's kind of a dump. It's become kind of a dump. It's definitely iconic. There's definitely nostalgia there, but it's facilities, it's bathrooms, locker rooms, all that stuff have just not been up to snuff. And as a result, the flames have to go down this route in terms of building a new arena. And with this new arena, the mayor confirmed that this is a 35 year commitment for the Calgary flames to remain in Calgary with this deal. I don't think the flames were ever going to leave Calgary. Like it's, it's not Winnipeg. It's not Arizona. It's not the smallest, smallest market. There's definitely been some rumors about them maybe leaving, but this is definitely insurance for Flames fans. I would feel great as a Flames fan to know that I'm getting this new arena. And yeah, I expect it to be a state-of-the-art arena. Think of UBS, think of Climate Pledge Arena, even their bitter rivals, the Roger Place. They got a new arena in 2016. As for whether it'll be able to keep players in Calgary, I don't. I I I think that that's a little that's a tad optimistic for me. It it's definitely a an additive plus, an additive bonus that you're getting this new arena. But I think players that are leaving Calgary right now, especially the Americans, they just want to be in America. I don't think a new arena is really gonna be like, oh, who cares about America now? We have a new arena. It's still just overall living in Canada. Maybe that. Not saying Canada's bad, but I'm saying like some of these American players stay there for a while and eventually just want to head back home. So I'm not sure how much the new arena will help maintain players. I think of it more as the new arena is to rejuvenate fans, invigorate fans to support their team and to reward fans for their dedication for the last 40 years with the Saddle Dome. But overall, in terms of keeping players, I think that is a little bit of an over-exaggeration. I don't think if Johnny Goutreau knew about this new arena when he was about to side with Columbus, he'd be like, actually, now that I have state-of-the-art facilities, I'm going to stay in Calgary for the next eight years. I think it's much more of a lifestyle and just where people want to be than say an arena. But moving on, we got a question regarding uh, Jamie Drysdale. Jamie Drysdale has been extended. The Ducks have finally locked up their RFAs with Drysdale on a three-year $2.3 million deal. This seems low for a guy that puts up 32 points at only 20 years old. No. Also, what do you think he signs for after this? This comes to us from Ivan. So yeah, after rampant speculation, I kind of was a part of that. But I said, I kept on saying that Zegers would eventually resign. Drysdale would eventually resign. I did my hypothetical trade videos. But after rampant speculation, Drysdale and Zegers have both signed, both on bridge deals, 5.75, three years for Zegers, $2.3 million for Drysdale. I think for Zegris, uh, we don't talk about it that much, but I thought that he, they should have went long-term, locked him up. I think he is going to develop into a stud. 
But for Jamie Drysdale, three years was definitely the move. Three years with, was without a doubt the move. When you consider that he has not really proven much at the NHL level. He, he, he had that 32-point season, but in terms of his defensive numbers and just overall analytical look, he hasn't been that good. Obviously, last year he played eight games, but he, took, he, improved. he improved from his rookie year to his sophomore year, but it was a horrendous rookie year for Jamie Drysdale, too. Pretty solid. Again, he was an average middle-of-the-pack offensive player, 32 points, only playing 20 minutes a night. That's solid numbers. That's solid numbers. The defense obviously needs massive improvement. This was his 2023 numbers, so he kind of improved a little bit. He was a little bit defense, better defensively, but this was only in eight games. As for Jamie Drysdale, yeah, 2.3, it seems fair. It seems fair. Uh, I, will he break out? I honestly don't know, considering the Anaheim Ducks, they're not short on defenseman prospects. I talked about him before, but Jackson Lacombe, Olin Zellweger, Pavel Minchnikov, they are loaded in terms of defensive core. So it's going to be very interesting to see if they, if Drysdale can break out, considering I'm, I'm honestly higher than on Owen Zellweger at this point than a Jamie Drysdale. You guys can let me know in the comments. Who, do you, who would you pick right now, Owen Zellweger or Jamie Drysdale? I'm taking the offensive upside of Owen Zellweger at this point after I saw him put up like two points per game in the WHL. He was absolutely insane this season. So for Drysdale... It's very much approved. Zegris, even if he doesn't improve that much, he's probably going to get a raise in three years just because the salary cap's going up. Even if he stays 65, mid 60, 60s points, probably going to get like 6.5, 6.75. Jamie Drysdale could get passed up quick. That's why I think this year is absolutely massive for him because the Ducks probably do have the best defenseman core in the entire league. When it comes to Jamie Drysdale and Zegris in their deals, it is pretty risky by Craig Gro- uh, Pat Verbeek. Craig Gronin's the uh, coach. But Pat Verbeek, to bridge both of them, it could, it could end up not working out that much considering they have so much salary cap right now. It's a little weird that they are doing all these bridges. And they have even more cap coming off next year with Adam Henrique and Jacob Silverberg going. But he's definitely... He, he negotiates hard. He doesn't want to give out money, I guess, if they haven't earned it. But you look at other teams that have paid their young stars early. It tends to work out for the most part. They tend to develop. Again, I think Drysdale, you couldn't really give him that long-term deal. I think they should have done with Zegris. But overall, I think Pat Verbeek has gotten pretty fantastic value from both of these deals. Let's do the math mentally. $8 million for Zegris and Drysdale over the next three years. That could be a disgustingly good value. Will the Ducks make, make the playoffs a single time during those three years? I kind of don't think so, but I think Drysdale, at this point, I would be surprised if he develops into a legit offensive defenseman, 50 plus points. I'm just being honest, even though he had that 32 points, maybe he could get 50 points, but the defense won't be there. I, I, I think for him, the, ball, the goal should be for the Ducks to have a number two all offense, kind of no defense kind of guy that can give you 45 points. I, I would be surprised if that happens. I think Olin Zellweger and Jackson Lacombe or Pavel Michnikov, one of, one of those three guys I would bet on passing Drysdale. Just a numbers game, three on one. I would bet on one of those guys passing on him and becoming the Ducks franchise defenseman. But I hope for the Ducks' sake, I like the Ducks. I hope he ends up developing. I hope he turns into an absolute stud. But let me know in the comments, what do you think about Jamie Drysdale? Is he worth the, is he worth the extension? Is he not? I want to hear from you guys. Next up, pretty weird uh, topic that came out of nowhere. Byfield's wrist injury. 
Quinn and Byfield allegedly played with two sprained wrists last year. Are you buying this? And if so, do you think he will bounce back and hopefully lives up to expectations from a niche? So yeah, it obviously came out. I think it was in the athletic or no, it was the hockey news that Byfield revealed that he played almost all of last year with two sprained wrists. He said, I got only three goals last year. That definitely was what everybody is talking about, said Byfield. But you don't realize what issues and stuff people are dealing with. You know, second game of the year, I sprained my wrist and the whole year didn't miss any time from that injury. And same with the other wrist. So I couldn't really feel my hands out there the whole year. That's crazy. I, 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 I am going to buy him at his word that he definitely was dealing with some wrist injuries. Not being able to feel your goddamn hands. That, that, that's insane. I've broken both of my wrists. Wrist injuries are no joke. I haven't sprained it, but breaking them, you're, you're out of commission. You're toast. But uh, when looking at this from Byfield, it does make sense. He was horrendous at scoring the puck last year. Absolutely horrendous. You look at him analytically, his finishing absolutely tanked. He was one of the worst finishers. I think he shot something like three or 4% last year. So I hope for his own sake that this is the case because that, that seems like a pretty easy fix. Now that you can feel your goddamn wrists, you should be able to shoot a wrist shot better. That, that's just how this works. And in terms of Adrian Kemp, or Adrian Kempe, in terms of Quinn and Byfield, hopefully he just shoots more this year. Out of every single player that had over 500 minutes last year, 333. In terms of shots on goal per 60, he was 252nd out of those 333 with guys like Austin Watson and Sam Lafferty ahead of him. Considering he's going to be playing in a pretty elevated role with the LA Kings, playing with Anze Kopitar, playing with Adrian Kempe, Kopitar is going to be feeding him the puck. He needs to be an effective shooter this year, even 10%. If he shoots 10% on that line, we could be talking about 18, 19 goals for Quinn and Byfield. If he shoots 12%, 22, 23. So they're definitely going to need him to step up this year in terms of the LA Kings. And this is kind of a make it or break it year for him. I, I don't think his career is like done if he doesn't break out. But what is he? He's turning 22 this year. I think he's turning 22 in a couple months. He has all the tools. I think he's a fantastic playmaker. He is creative with the puck. He has very good hands for his size. He's still growing into his body. Maybe he's a Tage Thompson type that develop, that doesn't break out till 23, 24. But I think this year is absolutely pivotal considering he is on a contending team and a contending team that's going to need him to play a decent, sizable role. So in looking at Quinton Byfield, a healthy Quinton Byfield, I, I, I really hope that he does break out finally. Will he? I think so. I think he's going to have like 50 points this year. I, I, if I were to predict, I'd say 18 goals, 32 assists. 50 points sounds like a lot, but he is playing on that top line. So you, if he was playing like middle six minutes, it's probably like 40, 45. But I think, I think this year with the healthy wrist, with the full year of health, he's going to be much improved. We've seen it with multiple players where they battle through injuries throughout the year, then they come back healthy and they look like completely different players. And I think for Quinn and Byfield, for Todd McClellan to give him this boost of confidence to keep him on that first line is definitely going to help him in two new wrists. Should do the job. Three to four months of healing. I hope he wasn't battling through that. That's the other thing with this that I forgot to mention off the top. I, I don't know how these guys, especially a Quinn and Byfield, how do you not sit out at the start? He said it happened in game two. You're Quinn and Byfield. You're not some fourth line bum that's barely making the team. I understand hockey guys are tough. Hockey guys want to play through injuries, but you're the second overall pick. They're going to cut you some slack. If you came to them and said, yo, my, my, my wrists are, both of my wrists are sprained. Let me take two, three weeks. You said they're sprained, not broken. Let me take two to three weeks off. So I kind of, 
I, I don't think that he's lying, but also I don't have that much sympathy. He even said it in the article himself. He's not making excuses, but I don't have that much sympathy when you're playing through, like if it happened in the playoffs and he's like, yeah, I had a bad playoffs because I sprained my wrist. I understand because you're going to play through the playoffs. You're going to play through injuries. No surprise. But when it happens in game two, take a goddamn week off. They're not going to waive you. They're not going to set, throw you out of the organization. You're the second overall pick. So from that perspective, I hope Byfield's wrists are healthy. And just in general, don't be playing through sprained wrists. That's no joke. And moving on, the final question. Draft in the sphere. Just saw a report that the NHL's draft next year may be held in the new Las Vegas sphere. Is this possible? And if so, what do you think? This comes from Jack, Jack Birch 11. So yeah, pretty shocking. The NHL draft might is obviously happening in Vegas next year, but it might be happening in the NHL, in the new Vegas sphere. If you haven't seen it, it's this massive sphere that is all LED lights. From the outside, they can turn it into literally anything. As you can see in this, they turn it into an eyeball from time to time. It's truly horrifying stuff. It is. Like, like the eyeball. I don't know why they did that. But they can turn it into anything. They could turn it into a, I guess, they turned it into a basketball during summer league for the NBA. It is state of the art. You two performed there last week. I watched like every single TikTok and video on it because it looks so cool. It's this this tiny stage and then this massive leds that just an edm festival would be would be absolutely insane there just all these visuals piling up and you might be thinking to yourself why would the nhl what connection does the nhl have to this sphere why would they go to the sphere and it's because this this sphere was inspired and built by james dolan who's the executive chair of madison square garden it was his idea and obviously james dolan is the current owner of the New York Rangers. So there's definitely some ties to the sphere in the NHL. Could they get maybe a slight discount on it doing at the sphere? Yeah, I guess so. I guess they could. They definitely have to pay some money, but compared to team mobile, you would maybe would want to change it up and do it in the sphere. As for the layout of the sphere, basically the screen, there's like a, there's like a floor section by the screen. And that's like the stage. The stage, the little, because it's a sphere. Like there's a circle, there's a screen where the screen is, is where the stage is. Then there's like floor seats. So I think what they would do is they'd have the screen, they they have the floor, the stage where obviously the people get drafted to. And then they'd have all the teams on the floor area. It'd be a little bit weird. And then all the players, I guess, sitting in the 200s, fans in the 300s and 400s, it seats about 17,000, 18,000, I think. So it seats basically your your normal NHL arena. But looking back at that layout, it would be a little bit weird because what makes the draft so cool is how close the fans are to the NHL arena. So like how close they are to the actual executives. Like I remember I sat like 15 feet away from Lou Lamorello when at the Montreal draft. It's so cool watching them go through the process. That's my one concern with the sphere, as we say, as we look at this. Because you'd be sitting in the 300s, 400s, most likely, maybe the 200s. It would really take away that personal aspect when it comes to the draft. And the giant sphere, I don't know how... It works for a concert because they're flashing all these different visuals. They're not flashing who's on the screen, like the band. They're flashing a bunch of weird, wacky, hallucinogenic... Hallucinogenic? 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 pictures it's all these trippy images that gets you in the vibe to a certain song i don't know what they do with the nhl draft i don't know how they would flash highlights they'd flash the guy walking up and and it's very high up you see how it's 
it's just one section. It is very like steep. It's just these bleach that go all the way back. It is very steep. So I don't know how effective this would be for an NHL draft. I'd be fascinated. I'm going next year, most likely. I think it would be a very cool look for the NHL to do it just for PR standpoints, if that makes sense. This would be a massive headline, them doing the draft here. I think that would be cool. But from a pure fan experience and even from a broadcast experience, um, I'm not, I'm not that big of a fan. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I think they should just do it at T-Mobile arena, but I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to them doing it at the sphere, but let me know in the comments. What do you think about it? Do you want to see a draft of the sphere, the sphere sphere, but let me know all that good stuff. And that's basically the show. We went for 36 minutes just on topics. I'm going to have my Metro division predictions either out later tonight or early tomorrow morning. Thank you guys all for watching. I really appreciate it. We had like eight to nine concurrent viewers throughout this. Love that. Much less last time. But let me know in the comments what do you think of today's episode. And yeah, see you guys in the next one.